Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We're recording this a day late on Friday, March 10th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Chelsea kicks on PSG taking the mantle as PSGZ. And we talk the Tardo race. But first, I want to get into our friends at Tottenham Hotspur and what is getting on there. They are a mess. They are falling apart. But first, why was I late? Uh, I was in Vegas at a podcast conference. So this show's around 24 hours late, but I appreciate you guys sticking around. Please subscribe. Please share. Please hit the like button. Please hit the share button. I don't know where you're watching this. Please follow whatever it is you're doing. Uh, if you're on YouTube, click share. If you're on uh, your podcast player, subscribe. We need you or follow or whatever it is. Please do that because it makes a huge difference for the show. And we're going to get right to it. So Spurs, 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 Spurs. Uh, Spurs went out of the Champions League uh, on this week against Milan in a turgid, terrible, nil-nil at home Never really created anything, never really got anything to Kane and just went out with a whimper. And I think the most damning thing we can say about Spurs is they're now in like a late Wenger period kind of way where everything is about the top four. Everything is about getting that money to get players and whatever. And then that's the be all and end all of it. They just get there and then don't care. It's it's not even a lack of ambition. It's just an acceptance of playing for the finance of it. Conte comes back. It's a disaster. He's bored. He doesn't really want to try. He insists on playing Spurs as a very defensive team. Uh, in the end, Romero does end up getting sent off in this game. And it's really just not working for Spurs at all against Milan. They go 180 minutes against AC Milan, a not great team, and don't score a goal. This is a team with Harry Kane. This is a team with Hin Min Son. This is a team with Dejan Kulishevsky. This is a team with Richarlison. And we still can't find anything resembling scoring a goal. Uh, again, defensively-minded Skip and Hoiberg together with three at the back. Perisic being out as a wingback, okay, fine. Emerson, fine. But this team does not play to the team's strengths. They're still playing in this negative style, afraid to be beaten, afraid to make mistakes, afraid to do anything, and it's just not working. There's no there there for Spurs. And um, I think at this point, they're, they're, they're set up for a reboot. It's time to go again. It's time... To move on. Um, now, I don't want to get into the pain of where Spurs need to go. I don't know the answer. I do know that it should be with Harry Kane as part of the team. I don't buy the narrative that he has to win trophies. I don't think that that's true. I think that there's a lot of value in being the guy on the team that sticks with the team. I think that there's a big, there's big value for him, uh, for the club, for his legacy as the Spurs guy. Um, there was talk on my friends from 
totally football that he pull a Teddy Sheringham where he leave, get his trophies and come back. I do think Harry Kane is a type of player who could play for a long time and do a lot of things, uh, leave and come back type thing. But I, I think there's so much value in his being where he is, doing what he does and um, doing what he needs to do. Um, I do think about Spurs as a club. They are in a weird space for their supporters where they're happy with their stadium. They love rooting for Harry Kane. But is this all there is? Is, is it this style of turgid negative football and this Conte uh, darkness? It's now spreading to his own players. We had Richarlison come out um, yesterday during the press conference, say he was shit, say that he was promised that he would play, and then say that say he, he's had a shit season, excuse me. Say he promised that he was play and then not play. Um, you know, we can we can ask questions about whether Hinmin's son should be playing or should he be coming off the bench. It's really just all gone horribly wrong for Antonio Conte and Spurs. And then I think it's it starts to be something hierarchical where the Daniel Levy regime, I know we have the silent owner who's actually the 80% owner, but he's never around. Is it that he can only get the team to a certain space? If we look back at Spurs, the moments of hope were on the back of Delhi popping, Kane becoming the best English striker of a generation, and Pochettino's instilling of belief. Right? You have the 16-17 or the 17-18 season, I can't remember anymore, uh, where Spurs come in second. They have the, the highest goal difference in the league. Uh, they do do some business, but then there's a moment before the Champions League season where they went to the to the final where they, they went a whole transfer window without buying any players. And that's when the team went stagnant. That's when the team went down. And then we went from Pochettino to three straight defensive managers chasing this thing when your best players are attacking players. Um, and I know, and I think that they have to restart. They have to look at it again. They have to assess the team, have someone look at it and really go, hey, what is this team? What is What are its strengths? What should we be playing like? Where do we need to go? Um, I know like when when Potter was at uh when, when Potter was at Brighton, I really wanted him to come to Spurs. But now that we see Deserbi, maybe it's Deserbi, maybe he's the inflection point. We go from Italian to Italian. I do think that Spurs need to go in an offensive direction. Something positive something on the front foot, something that can lift that stadium that's super loud and designed for loudness and designed to push this team on. But they've got to go for it. They've got to go for it. They've got to push themselves forward. And, you know, while we have Spurs on the way down, we have Chelsea on the way up. Uh, Chelsea coming off their good result in the week against Leeds. They get the big win versus Dortmund in the Champions League. Uh, a really, really good performance, frankly. And Chelsea, who knew? They scored two goals. Uh, Raheem Sterling whiffing on a shot. Then luckily it bouncing off of him. Very Raheem Sterling. Then he put it in. 
Then they got a very controversial penalty in the second half where one, the call was semi-controversial. We've, you know, it was very close, kicked into the hand. It hit the hand. It was out a backwards turn. It's given. I understand that, but it was a VAR to give. And then Havertz takes the same penalty twice. The first one hits the post, but there's encroachment by Borussia Dortmund. And then Havertz does it again. And Chelsea have their two nil lead. And they were very professional and really controlled the game and finished it out. What's interesting about this game, though, is they did it differently. They did it differently. They did it without possession. It was very much about letting Borussia Dortmund have the ball. Now, is it game states? Is it a a situation where Chelsea are like, we're winning. Let's just get our let's just get our our thing going. Let's shut it down. Let's play on a counterattack, which is fine. I think that goes more into Chelsea's DNA. I talk about this a lot. I talk about the suffering and I talk about what a club is. Chelsea at its core is a defensive club through the timeline of being the leads of the South in the seventies, even though they were the glamour club, they played the same way, a very chop people down. You have the world famous chopper Harris who embodied Chelsea from the set from the sixties through to the eighties known for taking guys down. This team was the team of John Terry, Mourinho, uh, it, it's power, it's force, it's it's physicality. And with the team, I think with Kovacic and Enzo Fernandez, I think they're both really good technical players, but they they do embody that. Um, Fafana was great. And then they really show up when uh, Reese James and Scholl are there. All of a sudden, all that creativity that I always complain about with Chelsea and that's not in the midfield now comes from those two and they do a good job. Uh, Chelsea were good here. And Potter goes from zero to hero. Um, I did listen to Rory Jennings, who, you know, has very much been Potter out, but then was also very happy with this game. Um, you know, touting Chelsea as the top team in Europe from London. Uh, and and you can still be Potter. He was still Potter out, but also very happy for his team to win. Because I think that's how it is for football. You've got to celebrate when your team wins and can't always be you know, on the manager, on the manager, on the manager. I think this, these two wins, frankly, put Potter in for the rest of the season. Um, you know, he gets the team to the to the quarterfinals. Uh, he moves the team forward. He gets to sort of say, hey, here's where we are. It is not unheard of for a team to win the Champions League in this kind of position. Uh, 2005 Liverpool, Istanbul, that team had 58 points and won the Champions League. Uh, Chelsea in 2020, 2012, the Drogba goal against Bayern, they got battered for most of those games. The famous bunkering defending against the greatest team of all time at the camp now, winning 1-0 against Barcelona. I think Barcelona took 35 shots. Uh, this is the, the the Di Matteo team that won the Champions League. They finished in sixth that year with 65 points. So it's not unheard of for an English team or a team that's down on a season to win a Champions League. It's a knockout tournament. Anything can happen. And it's not a great vintage of teams playing in the Champions League. Aside from, you know, Real's in it. We can't really put them down. But can they really have that lucky of a run again? Um, Sure, but it is weird. But uh, Potter does get the team moving. They're in good shape. They're looking good. And Chelsea fans can breathe a sigh of relief that their season isn't just going to disappear on them. Um, I think the secret to Potter, and I've got it a little bit salacious in the headline, no big deal. The secret to what Potter's winning formula is, 
the same 11. Who knew? If you don't change your team all the time, they get connected to each other. So playing the same group up front with Reese James and Chilwell, I think is the path forward. And that is what changed for Potter. He's getting a settled 11. Remember, this team has 33 first-team players. That's so many. Uh, when you compare it to City, who are acknowledged as a top team, or Arsenal, Arsenal, I think, only played 15, 18 guys tops. City play 15, 18, 21 guys tops. And Graham Potter's having to deal with 33 guys on his roster. Like, you know, Aubameyang is still there. Um, Mendy's still there. All those guys are still there. All the players they brought in are still there. So they've got to manage that whole process. Mudrik is on the team. He hasn't played the last two games. I'm sure he didn't think when he was coming to Chelsea that he wasn't going to play. Uh, Mason Mount, still on the team, hasn't played the last two games. So there's a lot of stuff going on. But I think for Potter, he needs to settle the team down, pick a group, explain why he's made the decision to the players that he's chosen, and say, hey, we weren't working what I was doing. We're winning this way, and we're going to find moments for everyone else. There are five subs in every game, and we're going to sub guys in every game to get teams going especially. But I want to keep the team going and be focused as a group together to start with. Otherwise, they'll have such a hard time moving the team forward uh, like that and in that regard. Um, so we talked the Champions League in this episode because that's the, those were the big midweek games. But I do want to go to some teams I don't cover very often. So PSG, name brand, name brand, PSG out versus Bayern Munich. And I think that there's a juxtaposition here with PSG and um, City. Both have their sovereign wealth funds. But went about taking over their leagues differently. PSG's in a weaker league. So they were able to go with Zlatan and Cavani and Silva, Thiago Silva now on Chelsea, and lift PSG up to win league on. And I think they got there fairly quickly. But this is where the teams diverged. City went on a path of creating a team because their group comes from the Barcelona model with Ferran Torres and Chigi Bajaristan. And they put the team together for Pep to manage. And if you know anything about Cruyff and anything about um, Renus Meichels and anything about, um, Johan, about the installation of the Barca model, it was very, very much a team-first club. And City only have superstar, only have really had their first superstar signing in Holland. Aguero was a good player who football people like, but he didn't have big personality. He was a goal scorer. And David Silva was never spoke English. And Yaya Torre, you know, these are big players that are big because of what they achieved in moments on the field, but they're not branded players the way that Neymar and Bappe and Messi are bigger than the clubs themselves. Um, and that is what's been hurting PSG. PSG's structure and why they've gone out in the round of 16 in five of the last seven Champions Leagues. Now, to be fair, they got to a final. So that, that, that matters. It happened under Tuchel. Goes to show how good a coach Tuchel is. He went to a final with, with uh, PSG and then won 
18 months later with Chelsea. Um, but I think what's happened at PSG is the players are not accountable to the coach. They can go around him, especially Neymar. In the Neymar era, I don't know if it's just Neymar. They seem, if they don't like the coach, they can go to the chairman and get the coach fired. It's much more like an NBA team than a soccer team, than a football team, where this team just has no cohesion. It has no um, desire to play together. It's very much a stars and scrubs team, which in football, as I've said a million times, it is a weak link sport, and any weak links will be exploited. PSG had 17-year-olds coming on uh, to change the game, whereas Bayern Munich had Cancelo and Leroy Sané coming off the bench and Serge Gnabry. PSG never looked at it. They never they looked disinterested. They were only down a goal. But, but Bayern Munich, again, the stronger institution, the stronger sense of knowledge, the stronger sense of DNA within the club to say, this is Bayern Munich. This tournament, the Champions League, is all that matters. Our will to win, our understanding of what happens if we lose, our desire not to lose, our desire and and constant pressure to put in good performances is going to overtake PSG's star-driven. I'm going. I'm the man. I'm going to win this for Paris, which is what you get a sense from Nate, from Mbappe was trying to do, win the game by himself. Or hey, we'll bring in Messi. It'll be fine. It doesn't work that way. Football's not like that. If you look, if, I think a good juxtaposition is if you look at what happened with Messi in Argentina, those players were so connected to him that they did the work as a unit and a cohesion for him. PSG's not set up to do something for Mbappe or for Messi. There's no love. There's no deep bonds and connection for any players to PSG. And it's it's what City's problem are, but City are growing it slowly and slowly. So it's a little bit of that. But that's just um, the Champions League. Just want to make sure I get it all summarized so we all know where we are. Um, we still have this week, next week, to find out who the final teams are. But we have Benfica going through, Chelsea going through, Bayern going through, and AC Milan going through. And next week we're going to have Porto v. Inter, City v. Leipzig, Real Madrid, Liverpool, and Napoli versus Eintracht Frankfurt. Do want to give a little bit of a shout to Club Brugge. Uh, our friend Scott Parker, who was fired on day eight of the season, uh, took the Club Brugge job and is fired there too. So he's been fired twice in one season. Can he make it a trifecta? Hopefully we'll see his sweaters again. I think... Um, Scott Parker is just not a good coach. Uh, yes, he did get promoted twice, once with Fulham and once with Bournemouth. So maybe the championship is his level. Maybe he'll go and try and go again at the championship, maybe learn from this. He can say he's the furthest English manager in the league. Uh, you know, he got booted in a round of 16, almost happened to Potter, but he and Potter are the only two English managers who got that far in the Champions League. But he's just not a good manager. Club Brugge had been falling apart under his management. And I think this Champions League uh, result was the last straw for them. They were just not having it anymore uh, from him. So we do have to turn our heads <laughs> to the Premier League and we go back to our bread and butter and where we last left our championship group. So let's cover off 
uh, Manchester City and uh, Arsenal. Arsenal do have to play Fulham at Craven Cottage on Sunday with City facing Crystal Palace late on Saturday uh, in uh, Selhurst Park. So both both of our contenders have to go to hostile environments against tough teams, historically tough teams for them, and see where they are. So it'll be an opportunity for City to put pressure on Arsenal so that they have to go to full to Fulham and at least match the result. Fulham are very, very, very tough. Uh, and we have to keep that in mind. And City have a historical problem with Palace, not at Selhurst, at home. I just remember the Andros Townsend game more than anything. Uh, again, City, five points behind. Every week that ticks off for Arsenal, where they don't drop points and they move forward, they completely have the title in their hands. And I said, almost, it must be a month ago, this was City, this is Arsenal's to bottle when they had an eight-point lead. They were way ahead. They had that wobble. City did not go on that run. They also dropped the game in the middle of that run. And so we we see where we are within this contest. But we do have to comment on a couple players. Mitrovic and Sol- Magnon Sal- Salomon, who's been scoring goals in five straight games. Tricky winger. Had a difficult time getting to Fulham from Shakhtar. He's one of the players who is affected by the war in Ukraine. He There was a... FIFA ruling that players leaving Ukraine did not have to pay transfer fees, but there was a bit of a a bit of a sort of working out that, oh, you can come back now, but then Fulham wanted to pay. So he had to wait a year before he could play. And Salomon has come on and he just comes on the wing, right-footed player, just been finding goals like crazy. And then for Arsenal, who have been giving up goals on headers, they've got to be careful with Mitrovic. They have been giving up goals. They give up two goals in midweek to the Europa League um, to Betis. Is it Betis? No, Betis is, is Manchester City. Um, so they have to worry. I don't think Arsenal are in the best form, specifically in terms of defending. They have been giving up goals almost every single game. They played sporting um, and drew 2-2. They were pegged back. No, they pulled... On an own goal, they they pulled this one out. A little bit tougher. Sporting was in the Champions League and did drop in. So um, they're pretty good. Arsenal, I wouldn't say dominated this game, but they also did not completely control it either. Uh, Sporting gave them a hard time. A 2-2 draw away is fine. They'll feel good about going to the Emirates. But I think one of the issues for Arsenal is they don't have depth. Uh, And when they try and go away from their normal 11, they have a hard time. Jorginho was in this one. and uh, I believe Party had to come on to solidify that thing. Uh, Tomiyasu had to come on for Zinchenko to get that defensive solidity. Uh, K- Kiwar had to come on and Gabriel had to come on. So some of the things, anytime they try and play different lineups, they get into trouble. And uh, th- this is by no means, are they good in Europa League? A 2-2, Sporting will feel good about going to the Emirates and trying to get something out of this. Very difficult tie there. And Arsenal now have... Thursday, Sunday, really difficult to go through all these games and fight through, especially City not having the extra game the way Arsenal did. Um, For City, it's all about kicking on and cruising on. One of the things I noticed that there was a statistical thing about 
the number of runs that Arling Holland has made and had the ball played to him, City fans could have told you that a million times. They are not making passes to Holland because of the 3-3 game early in the season against Newcastle. Pep Guardiola admonished the team to control games. City don't want to go up and down. Uh, The last couple games have been better. There's been a bit more balance. There's been other players looking for Holland. I think the Foden coming into the side has been better. Essentially, the only player who had any guts to try and play the ball to Holland was Kevin De Bruyne, and all the other players were afraid to make mistakes. But De Bruyne has slipped in the last five or six games since the World Cup. He's not been good. He's been getting pulled off early. His body language is bad. His hair looks bad. He's just not looking good right now. He's out of form. He has 12 assists on the season, but he's out of form. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, City have been playing without him or having to have him come off after 65 minutes. So he might be feeling jaded. He might be feeling tired. But City have been better. Their performance have been better. Uh, And, again, like we said about um, Crystal Palace have been terrible. Winless in – since the World Cup, winless since I gotta look it up right now. I'm I'm doing it right now. Winless since eleven twelve. So match week sixteen. No, sorry. The their last win was against Bournemouth on New Year's Eve. So they have not won since. Really bad run of form. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10 games without a win. But to be fair, they do have five draws in there. Their best draw was probably the United draw. Uh, they'll feel good about that one. but and, or, or the Liverpool draw, also really good for, for them. But, you know, they need to get wins. And they're not scoring since Zaha's been out. They really have had a hard time doing anything around that. Um, we have to check in on our friends in Liverpool. <clears throat> they've got to capitalize. They are the early game. They play Bournemouth. We know how good Bournemouth can be. They almost got that fucking win against Arsenal. God damn it. Ten more seconds. Ten more seconds, Gary O'Neill. Oh, so we'll see where Bournemouth and Liverpool are. Can Liverpool put two performances together? We know their scoring has been better. Sorry, their defensive numbers have been better. Two clean sheets in a row. Um, And they... Won't feel good about their Real Madrid game, but they will feel good about playing Bournemouth. Their last game against Bournemouth was the 9-0, uh, but that was Scott Parker, who basically said every to anyone who would listen that their team was shit. So uh, <laughs> we'll go there. But um, interesting about where they are and how they want to play. Uh, I do want to give another big shout-out to, Liver- to um, some of our other friends. You know we have Fulham. We know we have Brentford. But Brighton, I haven't talked about them in a while. Brighton are real top four chances. They have been incredible. And Deserby is now getting more plaudits, more of everything. Brighton right now sitting in eighth, plus 14 goal difference. What? They now have a striker in Ferguson who I think will end up moving on. I mean, Evan Ferguson, 18 years old. Three goals, two assists, seems to all have connected. We've got Matoma and Ferguson and McAllister and the Zerbies unlocked Solly March and Pascal Gross and my boy, Lewis Dunk. <coughs> Just incredible stuff. 
I've been in Vegas. My voice is going. So I'm going to end it here. I'm going to end it here. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We have the football and wing of the Chop Sports channel presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever we get your podcast, so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show. Sorry I did not mention Manchester United today. My throat just went after a weekend in Vegas. <laughs>